There was so much energy around a couture. Pier Paolo Pacioli, again, man of the season, dress after dress after dress, that was a work of art. And then Galliano just has reached this peak. He's becoming fashion's great social commentator. There was a sense of migration in a lot of the clothes, I thought, over the season of people on the move. The return of Raph. What was in the air that night? Raph coming home. Virgil Abloh and Kim Jones. Virgil is a lot more direct about saying he's moving away. You know, he wants to take kids into tailoring. Hedy Sleeman's debut menswear show for Celine. The colors of fashion have changed so much. You know, he is now one voice of many. Hi, this is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. Welcome to the BOF podcast. This week, I'm sitting down with our editor-at-large, Tim Blanks, who's freshly back from Paris, Milan, and London, talking to me about the men's and couture shows and all of the conversation and energy that's happened around those shows in recent weeks. If you want to dip into Tim Blanks' incredible mind, then stay tuned. This is Tim Blanks, Inside Fashion. Good morning, Tim Blanks. Welcome to BOFHQ. Thank you, Imran. How are you doing? Uh, recovering. Yeah. He moaned. You've been traveling. Yeah, it was a it was a really strange, strange season in terms of um, demands. I mean, it was as restrained as London and Milan were. Paris was. Uh, uh, just a madhouse. That's exactly what you said this time last year. Yeah, well, you know what? It, it's just as strange as it really, it's really like uh, fashion is consolidating in Paris, it feels to me. Um, it, it was a, for both menswear and couture, it was a very, very busy season. Yeah, I mean, I, I uh, was reflecting on my own uh, fashion week schedule which was actually entirely personally consolidated in Paris because I missed London and Milan but in terms of the key moments of the season it didn't feel like I missed all that much by by extending my holiday so I could spend a bit more time on the beach but um, let's not leave London out entirely because no, not at all because there uh, was Craig Green yeah who who as far as I'm concerned is the most interesting menswear designer in the world at the moment that um, is a strong statement oh I, I, I think on so many levels um, in in thought word and deed uh, he is the guy who's pushing menswear but in pushing it, he's not leaving people behind. So um, there's, I, I hesitate to say something for everyone because that's such a bland blanket statement, but there really is. I, I mean, there's, there's uh, the, the clothes that challenge the codes of menswear. There, there are clothes that embrace them. There's um, an incredible amount of thought and and actually a sort of philosophy that goes into them. The colors are good, the fabrics are interesting, and I thought it was, um, I mean, he, he, he launched this, this statement about plastics in this collection, you know, plastic is the boogeyman de nos jours, uh, and I thought that was quite interesting later in the season when Tom Brown did a, did a show that was an ode to bubble wrap in a way um, that, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of know your enemy, I suppose. But the way Craig did it to, to you know, that, uh, a word I use a lot when I'm talking about fashion is alchemy, because there really is an alchemical process. Sure. 
designers take fabric and turn it into something magnificent. You know, we have Valentino to talk about in a little while. Um, and Craig did that with plastic, but there's so much more in that collection. And, and Frederick Sanchez, who's a wonderful soundtrackist, does an incredibly sensitive soundtrack. So the whole thing, it, it, well, it's literally organic. I mean, he's always had that quality. You always feel like you're in a community on a cliffside in a post-apocalyptic paradise. And they never really lose that feeling, but this time it was so strong, and I'm really, really thrilled to. You know what's see amazing him. about Craig as well? Um, a few years ago, he invited me over to his studio. Early in his trajectory, very early, and I went over there, and I'm not joking. He had the the, the space of about the desk that we're sitting at right now to work at. And I think he, as he described to me, I said, "Well, how many people work on your team?" And I think he said, two and a half." And I said, how do you have half an employee? He's like, that's all I can afford. And from such a you know, genuinely humble beginning, you know, you're calling him the greatest menswear designer working today. I'm really curious to see how he develops his business. Um, because while there are you know, elements there that are fantastical and you know, elements that embrace menswear, I think you know, when I'm wearing my own Craig Green looks as I love them. I still get, you know, people from outside, you know, you know, real guys who don't really quite understand them. And so I, I want to see how he makes it more mainstream, basically. Well, I think he has a very, very successful commercial collection. I yeah. think he's developed that. So what's in that collection? Because I have one of his hoodies that has this, like, amazing, like, white string. Or white, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, the, the strings are kind of his, you know, signature, the laces. And I think they're incorporated into the selling collection, I mean, to the commercial collection. But he does extremely good shirts. Um, he is really good at creating clothes that, that are kind of basic, you know, a basic shirt, for example. But there's something about it which makes it as unbasic as it could possibly be. Sure. Which makes people feel good when they shop, I reckon. I mean, he makes... There's nothing. His clothes aren't going to. His clothes aren't going to compromise um, a guy who's a little bit, you know, wary of avant-garde fashion. I mean, at one point, Craig was the was the epitome of that. But he's he's just very very smart. Yeah, I I I'm a huge fan too, and so um, we should do more with Craig. I'd like to learn more about how his. Mm. Um, his whole business is evolving. I haven't even seen his current space. Maybe that's a future story. Um, okay, so Craig Green was the undoubted highlight of London. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about what was happening in Milan this season. Uh, well, we you know we we come out of we came out of London, which was um, you know, I mean it's it's crazy. You look at the calendar, and Paris is just like the sprawl, and and London was trim. Milan was um, equally trim. I mean, Giorgio Armani was the latest designer to decide to show men's wear and women's wear together, so he was off the men's schedule, which was one less big show. Um, so, and Gucci's not doesn't show during men's wear, and Bottega Veneta didn't show, and um, so what we had was really, uh, in terms of the big guns, I mean, we're, we've got Prada, Zenia. Prada, Zenia, Fendi, I yeah, guess. Yeah, and Versace. Yeah. And, 
the Prada show was one of Nutri Prada's great idea, ideas numbers, you know, um, where it's the ideas, uh, I, felt the, it was, I felt the ideas carry the clothing. Um, great ideas. She's angry. And she's still angry. That's what and, you said last year. Oh, she's still angry. And, um, and you know, she's not going to take it anymore. It's a real network moment. And um, that, I, I, I like the sense of, of, of you know, there's a, there's a, there was a sense of mig migration in a lot of the clothes, I thought, over the season of people on the move. A few designers did talk to me about, you know, you have your world on your back. Um, which is interesting. I remember Hussein Shalayan did, did an amazing collection about that years and years ago, and it was it was so radical then. And now it's 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 gone beyond radicalism. It's become a sort of, you can see it as a sort of necessity in a way that that there's this sense of the world in total upheaval, and you need to be able to move in a hurry if you have to. It's rather drastic. But um, Versace did this. I mean, the confidence and enthusiasm in that house, especially now that um, Donatella has her deal with Capri, uh, her people were calling the collection, I'd always refer to it as Corsace, you know, because Capri obviously is the Michael Coors umbrella as well. Um, I'm sure Donatella absolutely hates <laughs> Corsace. Oh, you know, people just have to, have to put the, have to amalgamate these days, don't they? The Brangelina of fashion is Corsace. Um, I suppose I should have a more up-to-date reference in Brangelina as well. But it was such a full-on, just joyous, colorful um, RuPaul on the soundtrack, you know, just so upbeat. And that collection in particular, um, the styling on it was amazing. You know, sometimes, sometimes the styling in shows, you don't, you, don't, you don't notice it, and that's good because that means it's sublimated, sublimated into the designer's message. And other times you just see there, was, there, were, there must have been thousands of items on that catwalk from everything from, you know, a doodad hanging off a waist to a cap to a layered layers of outerwear to, you know, whatever, to the shoes. <clears throat> the styling on that show was a real feast, you know? You just could, and you could see every outfit breaking down into stuff that people would want to buy. So I thought that was a very, very, very spectacular launch for um, the Versace's Capri years. Um, and then in terms of other, of other things that were um, going on, I mean, Marnie is, Marnie to me is a collection to watch. Uh, what's happening there is more joy, you know. I think it's funny that Francesco that, Riso is not angry. No, not angry, and and not angry, and you know, fashion's his playground. Um, again, another collection where everything came together—the music and the visuals and everything—and it was a just really, really upbeat thing. I think that that's, that that's one thing, you know, there's, there is a, there is a, I guess I wouldn't say doom and gloom, but there is a sort of, um, a sense of not, and not even ominous, but, um, not, and not pessimistic, but a sense of uncertainty. And I think you, you see that in London, you see that in Milan where, um, 
you know, there is a, a certain controversy about what the men's weeks are going to end up meaning. Um, and, you know, whether it's better to just make one super strong statement um, for the city, in a super strong fashion statement incorporating menswear and womenswear. Um, I mean, I don't, don't really see how it could happen um, the way things are. I think people are committed to these notions. But within those, within those slightly kind of slanderized concepts, there are these real, real high points, real, real jolts um, that, that, make, that make me feel really good about what's going on and um, you know, make me cross my fingers for, for it all when it ends up in shops. <laughs> so let's move on to Paris because, you know, as we, as you noted earlier, the, the schedule there was rammed this season. And I, and I guess it started really with the return of Raph um, post th- his big news about Calvin Klein. How, what was in the air that night, that Wednesday night? Um, Raph coming home, you know, uh, all that turmoil resolved in his collection. Um, And, um, you know, back, I suppose, I suppose people think he's back where he belongs or whatever. Uh, And it was a, it was a a very interesting Raph show. You know, he, he, I think he very much wanted to make it, um, make as strong a statement as possible, given that this was not much more than weeks since the whole Calvin thing blew up. And, um, you know, the collection being in two halves and um, duality, um, schism, schizophrenia. I mean, from duality to schizophrenia, I guess. Although the, in, the collection wasn't schizophrenic, it because it was, it was variants of the same ideas, the same silhouettes, and fabrics changed, and the color palette changed. It went from monochrome to quite brightly colored. So it wasn't like a you know, long short. Or right, anything but like there that. is a. Du- I mean, I spoke to him briefly during the week uh, at a dinner, and there is a kind of duality there has been a duality about his existence oh God, over the yes. past few years I, I mean i would push i'd go further i'd say schizophrenia right and so he's in the process of moving back to antwerp and moving all of his stuff yeah from new york and yeah. he was talking about the the kind of that lovely big art collection yeah that process of like returning home as it were but having lived this kind of divided yeah life and where his you know, I think I think I think Calvin was an incredible experiment. Um, looking back on what he achieved there, uh, what he used fashion as a vehicle for. Those shows are pretty. Those collections, those shows were pretty extraordinary. I think, and as time passes, and you think that somebody did a collection for one of America's biggest sportswear brands based on the works of Stephen King, I mean, you're going to People will love them in hindsight. Um, I loved this show because it was, I loved the show because it was everything about Raph. You know, it was all his, although this time it was less about, you know, because the sort of transience of youth and beauty has, has been his theme for years and years. And he's fascinated with youth cults. But this time I think he was, I think it was almost his own transient, the, the transience of his own 
youth, beauty, blah, 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 that was, that was intriguing him. And he had the most sensational band playing live. And only two people could see them, which was, I thought was really, really, um, really, really interesting. That everybody else sitting in the, in the um, fabulous hotel ballroom of the Shangri-La, even showing in a hotel ballroom, a la the great couturiers of old, uh, but everybody sitting in that ballroom, nobody could see the band except for me on one side of the aisle. We're looking straight down the aisle to the band and Frank Ocean on the other side. So we were sitting straight down. Do you think they did the, that intentionally? Oh, I think, I'm sure it was intentional. <laughs> Lucky you. Way to, way to feel special. Tim Black. Um, no, because uh, the band was amazing. And, and that, Who were they? Uh, they were called um, Whispering Sons and they were from Belgium. And the, the lead singer was this incredible girl who... Reminded me a little bit of a very young Iggy Pop. Okay. Um, and the sound was great. The guitarist was good. And all of that is just Raph getting back to his roots. You know, and it was really interesting because last time he showed in Paris and we were in some dank concrete bunker on the outside of town. You know, this is me. I am a designer on the margins, you know. And this time we were in this gilded hotel ballroom, super convenient to everything. And that was... That was a strong. That was a strong statement in itself as well, and it was good to, to um, it was good to have him back and convenient. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll see how, you know, a hundred percent focus on his own thing is going to, you know, you know, help maybe put a different kind of energy into his own brand because clearly, when you don't have the behemoth of Calvin Klein to manage, you know, all of his creative energy is going to be focused on. Raph Simmons mm, for the fu- foreseeable future. Happens. Yeah. Um, then something unconventional happens, something that I've never seen during a fashion week, which is two brands showing at the same fashion week, unveiling a collaboration where showing the showing the same ideas two hours apart. Exactly. And, all, and not Valentino just, and undercover. Not just two brands, yeah. but two of the most amazing brands in menswear at the moment. Yeah who collaborated, and the collaboration came together super, super quickly as well. So what's um, the backstory? Well, Valentino showed the pre-collection in the resort collection in Tokyo in, when was that? That was in... Uh, November? Yeah, it was just before Voices. And uh, Jun Takahashi from Undercover had contributed three items to the Valentino pop-up store. And uh, Pier Paolo Piccioli and Jun started talking about a collaboration. Jun did prints, sent them over. Pier Paolo put them, did them his way. And Jun, Jun Takahashi did them his way. The shows were two hours apart. They did, I mean, Jun's, the, the print that Jun supplied was typically undercoverish in its extremely arcane nature, the, the face of Edgar Allan Poe superimposed with a UFO. And uh, Pier Paolo used that graphic on the signature Valentino silhouettes and fabrics. And, um, you know, he, he did a streetwear collection uh, a few years ago, a few seasons ago for men, which I found a little bit jarring in the context of Valentino. Because yeah, it, was it a, didn't make sense. It was a little bit like... Um, Forced. Uh, yeah, I, 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 when I say Me Too, I don't mean the movement Me Too. I mean a band, you know, this is Me Too. I'm joining, I'm getting on the right. streetwear bandwagon. Um, 
but he's he's it's very much, it's been very much in his mind that that's a way to make Valentino relevant to take a house whose reputation is is founded on the most exquisite couture bring it into the the present by having these elements that are familiar to um, a younger audience like you know trainers and parkers and things so this he's still he will not he's not moving away from that because as he said it's not like we're all going to stop wearing sneakers although we could talk about that as well in a minute um, but but still there's beautiful fabrics there's a sort of elongated um, a very a very sort of languid chic like male couture chic in Valentino and so Jun's graphics were printed on that Valentino um, look and then for himself he did the, use them more in the sort of you know the the streetwearish style we associate with undercover which is parkas and puffers and and sort of um, mutated you know athleisure or whatever um, and then Jun's Jun, whose show was just as beyond as it ever is. It's uh, always your favorite show. Oh, it is always my favorite. Now he, now he, he was showing women's. Now he doesn't show, and then presenting men's. Now he presents women, um, women and shows men, with the same amount of complexity and and high concept uh, uh, commitment, telling the most elaborate. Uh, rich stories through his clothing and that show was just I mean I, I just sort of imagine if you'd never ever been to a men's show before or a fashion show before and that happened to be the, be the one that you walked into it Lucky was you, that was incredible yeah. um, you know the theme Clockwork Orange very very timely theme uh, you realize how absorbed he's always been by the notion of gangs um, but Jun, Jun Takahashi's cultural references span millennia and he's like you know typically Japanese in the way that he curates elements that would seem to be totally opposed but they fit together magnificently so the Clockwork Orange um, the Droogs he realized that Jun loves gangs he and he was a punk himself and he loves it I think he just loves it tribal the sense of tribalism the sense of community and it's a very fashion idea at its heart so the droogs from Clockwork Orange, he hybridized them with the Renaissance artist Caravaggio, who had a gang that roamed around Florence, kind of raping and pillaging and murdering. And, and Super um, dark Caravaggio. Yeah, and, um, but, but really lush and, and yeah, sensual exactly. and, and erotic. Yeah. And then the soundtrack was Beethoven, the music from Clockwork Orange. So you have Beethoven, Clo uh, the droogs, and Caravaggio. And his, his whole thing... His whole interpretation of the ideas that that um, he'd sent to uh, Pier Paolo Pacioli was, were, you know, completely him. Just as Pier Paolo's were completely him. I, it's amazing if you if you sit down and think about it, who else would you love to see doing that? Did it work? Yes, totally. I, I, I mean, given that there will be a lot of people who looked at Valentino and didn't know what was going to happen up the road two hours later, or down the road. Um, uh, it, it it did work because it was totally they're both they was totally standalone mm. and it was funny Pier Paolo was at undercover backstage you know busily I think he said there was like 22 things he wanted to order or something um, he joined the queue <laughs> but um, that 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 was 
uh, this, the, the, the openness of that. You know, yeah. and, the, and the, the kind of lack of, well, I'm going to say lack of ego, obviously it's not lack of ego, but there's a sort of, that, that kind of, that, the sort of generosity like of spirit. like a generous exchange, yeah, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah. yeah. It would be lovely to see yeah. people doing that. We can't talk about menswear anywhere, let alone Paris, without talking about what's going on in the, the whole streetwear situation. And of course the two... Um, people at the vanguard of streetwear in kind of high luxury menswear are Virgil Abloh and Kim Jones, who are, you know, new, um, both of them in their roles at Louis Vuitton and Dior. How, how, you know, what were your observations this season? It feels to me, you know, that when you go to those shows, the whole audience and everything has completely shifted. Do you remember, you know, you know, if you think back um, to kind of Chris Van Ash's Dior shows, and you think about the Dior shows that Kim's doing, or you know, the, 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 even the, the, the shows that Kim did for Vuitton, just how the environment and atmosphere of the energy in those shows is completely different now. Mm, I, I think that Kim's shows at Vuitton were big. Yeah, and uh, his this is for for Virgil and Kim the sophomore seasons, um, and Virgil is more when it comes to streetwear. Virgil is a lot more um, uh, direct about saying he's moving away. You know, he wants to take kids into tailoring. He talks about this as very much like a like a sort of mission. Uh, I think with uh, the other designers, other streetwear designers, they're just doing it. They're just, they're not, they're, not, they're not talking about it quite so much. Virgil seems to be the sort of person who's saying, not saying streetwear is dead, because obviously as Pier Paolo says, you know, people aren't gonna stop wearing sneakers. But he had, he had his off-white collection and he had uh, Vuitton. And he also had, a, a, uh, his own jewelry collection. Heron, yeah, um, launched under his own name. And also Heron Preston and Matthew Williams with Alix, who were, with, with part, were part of Bean Trill with him. And, and as Heron said, it's like, um, it's like when the Japanese came to Paris in the early 80s. That's these streetwear people are all showing at the same time. That used to be in this little gang, this uh, bean, doing Bean Trill. Um, and... It's interesting, interesting looking at those collections because Virgil, with Off White and with um, with Vuitton, that the, the, the emphasis is on more on tailored clothing, um, and and he's trying to kind of reformulate the suit. It's not. It's not. And is that just because it would be really boring to see a bunch of guys going down the runway in like? you know, sweatshirts and sneakers? Well, it is inevitable uh, as black follows white in fashion and, and transparency comes along at the tail end of, you know, um, cover-ups. And always been this way, short, long, you know, black, white. Um, sneakers to dress shoes. It, it, the, uh, as, as, as customers or consumers prefer customers, when you've been wearing sneakers forever and ever and ever, you're gonna, something else is gonna start looking good to you. Some, somebody who comes along with an interesting proposition 
And right now, like dress shoes, you, you, they're just the early adopters at places like Matches, matches.com are buying dress shoes. It's funny. It's, my my uh, assessment on what's going to happen is by looking at what people in the front row are wearing. Not the celebrities, but the, you know, the editors and the buyers and the people who are kind of genuinely right at the beginning of the, whatever trends happen because they're in the business of creating those trends. And last season, I would last menswear, which is only back in June, I'd look down the runway uh, and like just as we're waiting for the shows to start and everyone's in sneakers. And this time, there were very few sneakers. And if they were sneakers, there were no more like Balenciaga track sneakers or yeah. triple S sneakers. It was more classic, classic yeah. toned down sneakers. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. The, the shift has happened very quickly. Well, you know, the Xenia front row, yeah. um, that long, long line of rappers and influencers and hip hoppers and actors and so on. Every single one of them was wearing a pair of Xenia trainers. And, and you know, if they were paid to, though, yeah, right? Yeah, but if you're a kid today, yeah. and a kid any old time, who wants to stand out from the crowd, you know, you're the kid who grows his hair long and everybody else has a buzz cut or vice versa. You know, what are you going to want to wear? You know, Raph's shoes, like gigantic Frankenstein shoes, mm -hmm. or, or the shoes we see at, um, at, at Dior or... You know, you're gonna you're gonna be thinking if if fashion's all about individuality, this is how I'm going to express mine. I think that, that one thing that was very interesting about about um, Kim and Virgil, and um, one thing which I think is probably going to be quite influential going forward is that they big shows. The Virgil show was all was kind of inspired by Michael Jackson and. And when Dev Hines from from Blood, or Blood, Blood Orange, Orange wrote, walked down the sidewalk that lit up the pavestones lighting up like, like Billie Jean. That was like for me amazing. It I was, was like I mean, back was, in 1984 and Billie Jean and I was yeah, like, it's, it's ah. You can't resist that. Yeah. And then the band starts playing Wanna yeah. Be Starting Something, the live band. Um, and then that amazing model Alton Mason does those like back flips yeah, on the, the runway. In the, yeah. He's a model too, by the oh, way. Oh, really? Incredible. Yeah. But, the, but yeah. the, the sort of, it was so show busy. It was so, it was like, it was Broadway. You know, this was theater. Yeah. And Virgil's an extremely good, I, we've, got another, we've got ourselves another really good impresario. Yes. And Kim, Kim's uh, production, the two shows he's done for Dior Men so far, with a huge big statue in the middle of the cause one. the cause statue and then the, the Japanese manga artist in in Tokyo. This time the statues were the models on a conveyor belt, posed on a conveyor belt. Um, and it was... Um, that wasn't it was the most a, exciting thing to watch, was it? It was... But it was, it was, he was fully committed to that. Yeah, and, 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 you know, and we waited for it to happen. And yeah. had you and I not gone to see Kim, whatever, for a preview before. Maybe it would have been... But I didn't find it, like, super engaging, personally. What I, what I did love is... It looked great he, on Instagram. He, but he used Raymond Pettibon as yeah. his artistic collaborator this time, yeah. which was, as I'm just about, to me, anyway, as unlikely a collaborator as you could get. Um, Raymond Pettibon used to do the covers for Black Flag. He was a... That's how he got his start. He was a great... He was the graphic artist of choice for California's hardcore scene in the 80s, in the early 80s. And it was just extraordinary to see 
his, uh, you know, one of his images duplicated with 14 million hours of embroidery and beadwork on, yeah. on a shirt. Um, yeah. the, the, the sort of the, the couturish intensity of what yeah. Kim is doing at Dior is incredible. You know, this is there's a sort of newness there. Um, it's not immediate, but there's a sort of newness in the process there, which is which is interesting. Which, which he seems genuinely interested in making it work commercially. Yeah. So he was talking about like this stuff is selling. He was really excited about that. You know. Oh, he's a canny businessman. Yeah, that was cool. Okay, well. We cannot talk about the return to tailoring in menswear without talking about Hedy Sleeman's debut menswear show for Celine. The first ever menswear show for Celine by anybody. Um, you had to look at it based on pictures. I had the opportunity to attend. But I'm, I'm curious, you know, I'm curious to know what you think because obviously there was quite a big reaction to uh, Hedy's first Celine collection that was a kind of mostly women's wear um, back in, I guess it was October now. What did you make of, of this you know, men's wear outing? He's speaking of empresarios. He's, uh, he's an, another great empresario, always has been. His sense of occasion is peerless. I do believe that the tent in which the show was staged was on the spot where the the guillotine stood somebody told me that where louis the 16th had his head chopped off i did not know that uh, which would you know i i would i said that sounds like eddie that man i mean his sense of his sense of place is extraordinary always so there was that view of the eiffel tower it was incredible you could you know from where we were sitting and it was unusual like the whole setup for a hedy sleeman show was different so gone were those like benches where you're like sitting behind one another and you know in a in like multiple runways there was just a single walkway and stadium style seating and all of us wherever you were sitting could look all the way down from the place de la concorde all the way down the champs elysees to the arc de triomphe at nighttime just as the sun had set it was kind of incredible and the energy in there was it just felt different from right when you walked in you know, it was, it was, it was like he was trying, for as much as he could, he was trying to signal an openness to doing something a little bit different, if not a revolution. And, you know, the music he used um, by the Canadian collective from Vancouver, um, everything is uh, a challenge and an education. Um, all of that he is you know a details man and I thought looking at the clothes um, you know I always said this about about his time at Saint Laurent too I could walk in even though the shows might seem to have been steered towards you know um, sort of the sort of androgynes and the um, all the very androgynous um, um, Cool kids. boys and girls out of the cool kids, yeah. And you, you, you there were there were always things for you know, people like me in the shops. And when looking at that collection, I felt I felt the same way. Yeah, you know? there were. He does beautiful coats. There were and, the coats were amazing. There was this amazing 
leopard skin coat. Yeah, which always. I would normally it always not. Always does yeah. a fabulous leopard coat. And always. I just, you know, all of a sudden I I'm wanted feeling that a leopard coat. coat right now. Well, I was definitely feeling it too. But I think, I think um, the, the, the 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 overriding thing there though is that so much has happened uh, uh, since Eddie was the fierce ruling diva of, of, of fashion um, and, and, and Saint Laurent. And the, 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 the colors of fashion have changed so much uh, in, a, in quite a short space of time, if you use him as a yardstick, that, um, you know, he is now one voice of, of many. Um, but for some reason, that voice, in the context of this, like, avalanche of streetwear, felt interestingly um, relevant. Mm. So let's see. I mean, uh, you know, some people were saying to me, and one buyer said to me, well, I have a really hard time seeing how men are going to go into a store that's called Celine and buy things. Um, so let's see. I think the first, the first products are going to be hitting stores very, very soon. And we're going to start to see a rollout of Hedy's new store concept. And, you know, LVMH is pumping a lot of money into this, this new era at Celine. So it's all going to happen quite quickly now. So we'll watch, wait and watch, I guess. Um, there was another Celine making news in Paris in the last few days. Do you want to tell us about Celine Dion? <laughs> I missed that. Yeah, there was she this was... amazing picture of you on Instagram shaking her hand. Because uh, my, one of my best friends has been touring with her. Who's um, that? Uh, my friend Joanne in New York has been touring with her. So I, I said, you know, my friend Joanne has been touring with you, blah, blah, blah. You know, oh, yes, I'll say hello for you. She was extremely gracious. Did you tell her you have a Canadian passport? No. Why would I tell her that? She's <laughs> does she, does she, well, yes, I mean, and we sing O Canada. Um, she, could, she could do that very well. I'm not sure I'd be as good as her. Uh, she, she, she's a couture yeah. addict. I, I, I asked her what she does with all her old couture. And she said that she can't part with anything. And she said she's building a four-story house to, to contain her enormous number of clothes. Um, but she was at she was at a few shows, and of, uh, she was we couldn't see her at Valentino. But there were, but she was crying at the end. She's got she was ex and she was extremely emotional. Apparently at the other show she went to, I was sitting um, just a peppy a peppy who was her companion, a peppy away from her at um, at Ronald Vanderkamp. And she was incredibly effusive and excited yeah. by what she was seeing in that show. And um, you know, it's 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 lovely. And it makes you. I mean, it kind of makes you ponder that age-old question that's been going around fashion ever since I started working in fashion, which is: Is couture relevant? You know, is you know, for you know, it gets people emotional. It creates this excitement, um, and you know, enables us to see incredibly beautiful creations. You know the funny thing this season, admittedly couture and men's were a diet well more or less diametrically opposed. Sure. You could say that there are points where they now connect in ways they've never connected before. But there was so much energy around a couture yeah. this season. Yeah. And there was such a buzz at at the shows. So um, let's talk about the buzziest shows. Hmm, now we've um 
We t- you mentioned Valentino. Yeah, you mean, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I mean, mean, what can you say? What can you say, what can you say about Valentino? Incredible, right? I missed it again, but you what know, can had you to come say? back home. I, I, I was reflecting on it. Um, just dress after dress after dress. That was a work of art. And, and the um, casting. The casting. Every, it was, yes, this is the other thing that, that, that in, intriguing about Couture this season. The, the relevance, um, the relevance of it in ways that aren't precedented for the, the actual medium. I mean, Pier Paolo Pacioli, again, was his season, man of the season in many ways, um, menswear and, and Couture. We had been thinking about how um, haute couture was the preserve of rich white women and black women didn't get a look in. And even when Ebony magazine went to Paris to shoot clothes, they made the black editors buy the clothes. They wouldn't loan them to them. I mean, you think about this sort of buried stories of racism that are coming out now. Um, and then Franca Sozzani, who was a very good friend of Pier Paolo's, addressed this this sort of racism, casual and otherwise, 10 years ago when she did a black issue of Italian Vogue. And I think he's, he just was very struck about how people have forgotten that and how fashion forgets. So he, in the show, he wanted to make that kind of statement. And so three quarters of the models were, were black models. And I mean, he didn't, he didn't make it a big, he said, I don't want it to be a big political thing. But he said, you know, to have a black model representing one of the f- oldest, finest Roman couture houses is a real slap in the face to Italian xenophobia. And uh, he wanted to, wanted to make a statement more about how you can change people's point of view through aesthetics. Which is something we talked about a lot at Voices. Yeah. Right? That we yeah. have this platform in our industry of this imagery that spreads all around the world, and imagery has power. Yeah. And, and subliminally, infects people's points of view. And so that's what, I, I mean, Valentino infects your point of view on so many levels, the show. Um, there were a lot of superlatives in your review. Yeah, and, and my review was muted compared to that <laughs> because I didn't go to town on the dresses because it didn't seem necessary. You look at them, you see them. What I loved was the, the sneakier, though, the more subtle thing that he puts this absolutely incredible what you might call daywear in there as well with amazing color combinations and just this sort of sporty languor, um, which it was, it was just exquisite. It was interesting that I remember last season, he, he, everybody, all the models had this gigantic hair. Remember Kaya Gerber's hair? I mean, it was... Like, it was like teased out till it was no like the, tomorrow, most of the biggest right? thing of ever. You wondered yeah. how she could hold her head up, yeah. right? Um, really, Princess Pignatelli hair from the golden days of Altamoda. All the models had really, really tight little heads on, on, in the show. And it was, all, it was this incredible, for all the extravagance, there was this sense of discipline that was the, the sense of this, the, this sort of. This was like it felt like a manifesto in a way yeah. that, that you know in a way this is this is what life can be this is what fashion can be. It's so interesting, right? Because um, to see Pier Paolo and Maria Grazia 
go their different ways. Um, you see, it almost feels like Pier Paolo has been like liberated somehow, and like we never saw him do anything like this when they worked together at Valentino. No, these like no, because huge expressions of creativity. Yeah, yeah. the volume, the volumes at Valentino yeah. when they they were working together were always these yeah. very sort of cerebral columns. Yeah. But you know, but nobody has done volumes like this since this is sitting in that show. I thought this is what it must have been like to be at a couture show 50 years ago. You know, would you, you would see those dresses coming out from Balenciaga or from Dior or somebody, those amazing dresses that we only ever saw photographed in black and white. And, you know, and I said in my review that, that Irving Penn and Richard Avedon would be waiting at the door to whisk them away. They'd have, them, they'd have those dresses for one night to shoot them. Yeah. And, and he, Pier Paolo talked about his commitment to classic couture. He said he's not interested in modernizing it. He's, because that in, a, in, a, in a way the, and then at the same time as he does contradict himself sometimes, he does, he's not looking at the past to do what he does, but he's, he wants the classic codes. Um, he wants to elevate the classic codes. And then in a funny way that becomes so timeless because you know I, I say to people sometimes imagine people looking at these clothes in three or four hundred years and what are they going to be thinking and designers go eh you know what's he on but um he, he actually said yes he said yeah what are they he's he looks forward to he liked the idea of people looking at his these dresses in 500 years in a museum exhibition about who and what were those creatures. But it's interesting talking about modernizing couture because um, Claire, Wade, Claire Wade Keller was the other standout for me. Sure. And, and a surprise standout, right? I mean, well, she's been, her first couture collection was very strong. Um, I See, I thought the last one was the first couture collection, yeah, not the, the last, second the last one. Exactly. Was very yeah. respectful and very yeah. big. Yeah. It was too big. Yeah. It, it, and and I, I kind of, it, it left me really cold. This one, I just loved. What do um, you think is going, what happened? Well, did you talk she, to her she said, Yeah, she said she, this one she did for her. This one, last one was for Hubert de Givenchy. And, you know, um, that's obviously going to be like a, acting. You know, when you, you, right. you're doing something for somebody else. It's a performance. It's, it's homage. It's, yeah, it's an homage. It's exactly, you're exactly right. And this one, she said, it's, this, is, this was for me. This is my start. And, I mean, just the fact she used, the way she used latex, the most luscious, I mean, latex, like, really, where would you, where would you wear latex in a normal chain of events well you know where you'd wear latex depends the lifestyle you're leading Tim <laughs> exactly um, she uh, she was thinking of it in terms she said this is my lever and so she had this sort of latex under latex foundation for for a lot of the clothes which which was stunning stunning because you've got that high gloss spacey sort of liquid kind of thing happening underneath these clothes but it, it was just the, she, you know, the thing that I loved was, was how thrilled she is to be doing what she's doing. She is, she's, she's, it's like she's pinching herself all the time that she can't believe it's really happening. And, and to have that kind of, it's not naivety, but that kind of real, well, it is kind of naivety in a way. Wow, look at, look at what I've got, look at what I've got to play with and look what I can do with it. Um, it's so infectious. 
and and then the collection itself was the 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 use of color I thought was gorgeous the the um the dynamism and the clothing you know if i if if I was looking for new couture if i was a if I was a woman who you know who's dabbling hedge, who's hedge funding yeah. husband just bought himself a three hundred million dollar apartment in New York and he said, "Go and buy yourself a nice little couture wardrobe um yeah, you'd be looking at Givenchy to to kind of reflect where you where you are. I mean, you, you have Valentino for your amazing dream time, and then you have Givenchy for other things. There were two kind of really visually striking shows, also Iris Van Herpen and John Galliano at Margiela. Do you want to talk a bit about those? Well, I just want to say that with the with the 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 classicism of Valentino, it's fresh in our minds, that to, to have two statements like Iris Van Herpen and John Galliano in the same day, couple of days, you know, in the same time frame, we're talking about the, the vitality, the dynamism, the buzz around couture. With those voices, you, you can understand why that would be the case. Uh, the, the, I mean, Iris Van Herpen, I think she's beaming her inspirations in from outer space or something because those clothes are otherworldly. They do look, exactly. Yeah, otherworldly. Yeah. And the effects that she gets using, the, using technology um, in extraordinary ways. And then Galliano just has reached this peak where uh, that show began in chaos and ended in the sort of rigor of, of these black these like black shrouds, these black, these these very restrictive um, looks, which were like the libertine's path from from excess to enlightenment. And I think that, in a funny way, he's becoming um, fashion's great social commentator. I really, really uh, look forward to. To what he does, it's 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 a it's an abstraction of what we're seeing in the world around us, but it's incredi- it's incredibly vital. And then you have the always, you know, the the kind of pinnacle of couture, you know, at Chanel, and and this year at the Chanel show, there was like a breathtaking moment for different reasons. And you and I were both sitting there, and uh, at the end of the what I thought was a really nice Chanel show, and Carl didn't come out at the end. Uh, and then they made this really strange announcement saying that you know he was going to appear at the next show, and then he didn't appear at that show either. Have you ever heard Chanel or Carl himself describe himself as tired? Um, no, no, because he seems like the last person in the world exactly. to ever try. He's tire. indefatigable. No, it's just we're sitting there and that the the door opened and Virginie Villar came out, and she's done that with she's been walking out with him the last few shows. And um, and uh, he didn't follow her. And then that voice said, ladies and gentlemen, it was Michelle Gobert's voice, by the way. Was it? <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. And he just went, oh. I know. It was uh, my, like, my heart actually started beating fast because I didn't know what they were about to say. Mm. Did you hear anything about it afterwards? Mm-hmm. Lots. What were yeah. people saying? Well, it was just that there was rumors flying around all over the place. No, he was, he was, he'd been tired and, and, um, it, and, and the snow was falling heavily and, um, you know, he, 
didn't feel like going out. It's funny because I, I was thinking, you know, the, the set for that show, that beautiful Mediterranean villa with the swimming pool and the trees, the palm trees, the cypress trees and the orange trees full of oranges, that, that incredible Chanel trompe effect in the Grand Palais where they build an entire world inside the Grand Palais. And the bride was in a bathing suit, you know, ready for the pool, but your breath was frosting in the air. Yeah, it was so cold it was, it in was there. so freezing. It was cold. It was that weird incongruity. But I felt the set didn't really go with the clothes because the, 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 the message we were getting was that he'd been thinking about his favorite period, which was the 18th century. And the, it's a beautiful collection. It was, it was a very serene, um, gentle collection or that wonderful kind of color Why palette. Why did you think it fit with the sun? But I, I wondered. I just want, I just it felt afterwards. a bit more evening to me than day, well, right? Well, because it did. Yeah. The, it, it definitely was dusk in the villa. Yeah. The sky was yeah. not the midday sky. It was a yeah. sort of sky at dusk. But, I, you know, it, 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 it just felt to me less Mediterranean and more, you know, Parisian court or something. I figured he was going to go for the 18th century element. And then the hair and the makeup was quite... 1980s instead of 1780s mm-hmm. so it was it was one of those sort of you know one of those chanel shows where you can feel his protean mind rampaging through and sadly this time we didn't get to pick his brain afterwards no. so we couldn't unpack and no. detangle what was but then we're left we... to our own devices yes exactly well we're all hoping he's okay and has overcome his tiredness and we'll see him in a few weeks at the women's wear ready to wear shows that are just a few weeks away tim but i guess that's all the time we have for today we will be back after the next round of ready to wear shows to pick your brain again and catch up on everything that happens at fashion week for those of you who are listening and want to hear more from the inimitable tim blanks you should sign up for bof professional and you can read all of tim blanks brilliant musings thoughts and analysis on the fashion shows that happen at the major fashion capitals all around the world we're just about to kick off the next season so it's never too late Um, But that's all the time we have for this week. This is Imran Ahmed, founder and CEO of The Business of Fashion. And thanks again, Tim. Thank you, Imran. And uh, tune in next week for the next episode of Inside Fashion. We look forward to hearing your comments. If you have any ideas for us on people you want to hear or meet on the BOF podcast, then email podcast at businessoffashion.com. Leave us a comment. Give us a review. Let us know what you think of this weekly podcast, which is gaining popularity all around the world. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye.